1: imagine how the father realized that the son really didn't want to be with him he didn't want to be with him and the only reason he was with him is so that he wouldn't change his will and he'd lose his inheritance so the son he just comes out with these feelings he lays it on the table and asks his father just to dispense with all the drama of the dying and the death and the funeral and everything and just give him the inheritance now I mean, imagine the grace of the Father to agree to give the younger son the inheritance and not make him wait till he died. I mean, that's grace. That's grace. Well, as soon as he gets the money, then he goes off and he says he went far away from home and he went as far as he could. So, so he's hoping. I hope I never see my father again. And when he is far away, he says that at long last. He's gotten what he wants, and he surrounds himself with prostitutes, and he just dives into this wild life, and he ends up spending all that he's yeah. had. And the prodigal son is just reduced now down to a state, because the famine had come, he's reduced down to a state of feeding pigs. He's feeding pigs. It's not a respectable job for a Jewish boy, but he's so hungry in that state that he would just eat the pig food. And then he comes to himself and he realizes that my father's servants have plenty to eat and I'm perishing with hunger. And so then he starts to rehearse in his mind how he's gonna do this. How he's gonna eat humble pie and come back, and what he's gonna say, and and he works out his whole confession where he confess, he's gonna confess his rebelliousness and his unworthiness, but also he's dying from hunger. And so these are the words when the father starts to hear these things. That the father then, when this all comes about the reunion, and the father brings out the best robe and the rings and the shoe for the prodigal son, it all changed for the father and the son, when the son did not hide his real condition of, I perish with hunger. So um, um, imagine what it would have been like if the prodigal son didn't come back that way, but if he just sort of strolled in and said, yeah, everything's great. Oh, I had a wonderful time out there, and I just decided to come back for a visit to see how you're all doing. I mean, if the prodigal son had not been honest about his sin and his rebellion and the real state that he was in of dying from hunger. Imagine what it would have been like if he tried to hide his sin from the father and his condition. Well, that's what we're seeing here with the Egyptians They're just like the prodigal son. The Egyptians are as open and they're as honest and they're as transparent with Joseph as the prodigal son was with his father. And the Egyptians came to Joseph in verse 15, and when they said, why should we die in thy presence, the money faileth, we're broke. The Egyptians were being totally honest, and they say, why should we die? We're going to die in thy presence, and when they did that, they were putting all their hope and all their trust in Joseph, in Joseph. not They didn't have anything to bring. You know, it's just like the hymn says, nothing in my hand I bring, simply to thy cross I cling. We sang that hymn last Sunday. Say, so, nothing in my hand, I don't have anything. The money is failing. And when the prodigal son, he confessed that he had sinned against heaven and his father and was reduced to nothing, he was putting all of his hope, all of his trust in his father. what his father was due. That's the picture that God wants us to see here, what repentance looks like. What does it look like, repentance toward God and faith in our Lord Jesus Christ? It looks like these Egyptians. It looks like these poor Egyptians. It looks like the prodigal son who came in a state of openness about their bankruptcy, confessing that they did wrong, which in the case of the Egyptians was that they didn't listen to the warning that Joseph had given them, that the famine is going to be here, and it's going to be seven years. And when we see Joseph accept these Egyptians and care for them with food, we see a picture there of how God accepts us and how his great forgiveness. He accepts the the confessing sinner with wide open arms, just like the father did of the prodigal son. So Joseph responds to the people in verse 16. Joseph said, "'Give your cattle.'" I'll give you for your cattle if money fail. And they brought their cattle unto Joseph, verse 17. And Joseph gave them bread in exchange for horses and flocks and so forth. And he fed them with bread for all their cattle, it says, for that year at the end of verse 17. It says he fed them. Now, we can imagine the people saying to themselves, is it kind of, you know, remember the prodigal son was there and he was kind of working out exactly what he was going to do and how he was going to return and what he was going to say. Well, we can imagine the Egyptians sort of working this out in their mind, too, and asking the question, why shouldn't we give our cattle to Joseph? I mean, right now, they would say, our cattle have nothing to eat. If we keep them, they're going to die. If we keep them, we're going to watch dead carcasses in front of us. But if we give them to Joseph, then he's going to feed them and they're going to live. See, isn't that a picture of a person today looking at the shambles that he's made of his own life and saying, why shouldn't I give myself to the Lord Jesus Christ? I made a mess of my life. He will fix my life. See, it's just like the song goes, you know, something beautiful, something good, all my confusion he understood, all I had to offer him was brokenness and strife. Uh, but he made something beautiful in my life, so so okay, so here came the cattle, and and just imagine Pharaoh watching the cattle of the land being brought in for exchange for their for bread, and that cattle was not in good shape. so you know, what do you think he's thinking is he looks at these skinny, lean cattle, you know Pharaoh is saying to himself, "They look so emaciated, they look so lean." Oh, the last time I saw that was in my dreams over 10 years ago in Genesis 41.1, where it came to pass at the end of two full years that Pharaoh dreamed, and behold, he stood by the river, and behold, there came up out of the river seven well-favored kind, cattle and fat flesh. They fed in a meadow, and behold, seven other kind came up after them out of the river, ill-favored, lean flesh, and stood by the other kind upon the brink of the river, and the ill-favored and lean flesh kind did eat up the seven well-favored and fat kind. So Pharaoh woke. It was shocking. It woke him up. He couldn't continue sleeping. He saw these these skinny, emaciated cattle eating up the, the fat cattle. And it was a nightmare to him. So now as he's looking out his window, he's seeing all these cattle come in. He's reliving the nightmare. He's seeing the thing all over again. And, and so when the Egyptians came to Joseph, and they said, said, look, we're going to die. We don't have any more money. And Joseph then asked the Egyptians, well, bring your cattle. That raised the question. The question is this. Wasn't it enough for Joseph that he'd taken all their money? He didn't take their money, but he gathered up their money for the bread. I mean, why did he ask them for their cattle? He's already got all their money. Why didn't Joseph just give them corn without asking for their cattle? Why did he ask them their bring their cattle in? Why, Why do you think? So he could feed him, Okay, so he could feed him, Yeah, that's good. He works for Pharaoh. It's not up to him. It's not up to him. Okay, good, right, okay. Well, like you said, it was better for them to become Pharaoh's cattle because, you know, Pharaoh's cattle would be fed. And there's a picture here, you know, like I said, when we run our lives, and our lives are like the Egyptian cattle, and the condition is wasted. And when we turn our lives over to the Lord Jesus Christ, to be our director, to be our master, that's just like when the cattle, they came to be owned by pharaohs, and then they flourished again. They were under new management. And at this point, you know, that's what happens to a person when he gives his life, the ownership of his life, over to the Lord Jesus. It's what it means, not just to receive him as Savior. It's what it means to receive him as Lord, as owner, and the Egyptians, you know, didn't just wake up one day and and say, you know, I'm just not very good at taking care of my own cattle. I think I'll just give my cattle to Pharaoh because the, through Joseph, he, he knows better how to take care of my cattle. They didn't do that. The Pharaoh, the, the Egyptians, they started off and they said, you know, look, I've taken care of my cattle for all my life. No one is better than me at taking care of my cattle. I mean, that's pride. That's pride rising up to the surface of the Egyptians, just as the suggestion that they're no good at taking care of their own cattle. No, and that's what happens to man. It's just the suggestion of him turning his life over to be managed and directed, owned by the Lord Jesus Christ. Just like he says, no, he says, I run my life. No one knows better how to run my life than me. Thank you very much, just leave me alone. No one's gonna be my boss. I'm going to direct my life. See, that's pride rising up to the surface in a man at the suggestion that they're no good at running their own lives. You know, in my business, I meet a lot of people who are in business for themselves. In many cases, they're in business for themselves because they will not accept to have a boss over them to direct them, to tell them what to do. Man just doesn't know that he doesn't have what it takes to direct his own life. He just doesn't know that. But Jeremiah came to this conclusion and he says, I know it. And we don't know what happened in Jeremiah's life, but it was probably from some personal experience when he said in Jeremiah 10.23, Jeremiah 10.23, Jeremiah said, oh, Lord, I know that the way of man is not in himself. It's not in man that walketh to direct his steps. See, there's no, there was no doubt in Jeremiah's mind. He had tried to run his own life. He came to this firm personal knowledge, whatever it was that happened, that just wasn't gonna work. It's not in man to run his own life. And even for a Christian, this truth does not come easily. Unfortunately, it's got to be a painful process that the Christian comes through this, this conclusion. It's got to be the school of hard knocks, just like it happened to the Egyptians. They had to watch their own lives. They had to watch their own cattle come to a, be wasted away, come to a point of death, where they come to the point of accepting for their cattle to become the property of Pharaoh. And that's what happens in the life of a Christian. He receives the Lord as his Savior, but not his Lord. And he may say that, oh, no, he's my Lord, but not really. And it's in this case that the Christian is like the Egyptian he, who buys food with his money and says, okay, this is only temporary. I'll get myself out of this mess. Still got my work ability, got my cattle, got my land. Okay, I'm I'm drained down on money, but I don't need to turn over my whole life over the direction and management of Joseph. I don't need to turn my whole life over the direction and management, Christian says, of God. I just had a little dry patch, and I'll be fine running my own life just as soon as I get past this. So Joseph, he sells the Egyptian food for their money, and then he waits for that to run out. He's patient, he's patient, and then for their cattle to be half dead from starvation. And then they come, and they, they come running and saying that they're dying, they're dying. So we see them bringing their cattle. In verse 17, they brought their cattle unto Joseph. Joseph gave them bread for exchange for, it goes through the list of the horses and the flocks and the cattle, the herds, the asses. And he fed them with bread for their, all their cattle for that year. So what we see here is the Egyptians bring to Joseph their cattle, and it includes all these, these animals, And now these animals have become Pharaoh's property. But notice there are two supplies of bread in verse 17. What are they? What are the two supplies of bread in verse 17? Verse 17 speaks about one supply, and it speaks about another supply. What's the first supply? The people. Joseph gave them bread in exchange for their horses. All right, the the second supply, the last part of verse 17 is what? For the animals. He fed them with bread for all their cattle that year. Okay, now, you look at that last statement that I just read. See something strange? Do you see anything strange about that last statement? He fed them with bread for all their cattle that year. Let me let me give you an analogy. Okay, let's say that I, I buy a car from Tom, and it's got no gas in it. And I want Tom to just keep taking care of my car that I bought from him. And I say, Tom, here's some money for you to fill the car. Okay, with gas, right? Now, what I say to Tom Tom, here's money for you to fill your car up with gas, or would I say, Tom, here's money for you to fill my car up with gas? It'd be my car, because I bought the car, right? Now, the cattle has been bought already been bought, right? And it's no longer the people's. So how does the Bible describe the cattle? Pharaoh's cattle, Joseph's cattle, or or the people's cattle? But it says their cattle. Now, so it's interesting. Because Joseph did not take the cattle away from the people. He said, okay, you know, bring all your cattle here to the stockyard. He left the cattle with the people. But the cattle had been bought, and there was no longer the people's cattle. It was really Pharaoh's cattle. But the cattle are referred to, in verse 17, as their cattle, even though the cattle was no longer their cattle. But it's referred to it that way. Why? Because it appeared as though the cattle was still their cattle because they continued to be at their places and everything looked like nothing had really changed. But they were really, in fact, Pharaoh's cattle. But it was the people who were taking care of Pharaoh's cattle and so it looked like the cattle was still theirs. Now, that's a picture of what happens in the Christian who surrenders his life to the Lord Jesus Christ. On the surface, it looks like nothing has really changed. It looks like he still owns his own life. But in reality, as with the cattle, his life is no longer his own. And he no longer decides what he's going to do in life. And now the Christian, he looks to the Lord Jesus for direction, for decisions on what he should do in life. Because just as with the cattle was bought, the Christian has been bought also. As the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 6.19, 1 Corinthians 6.19 says, What? Know you not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which you have of God, and you are not your own. So you don't own yourself. For you are bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. Looks like we're, we are our own. The cattle look like it was their cattle, Looks like our body is under our own ownership but in reality we've been purchased just like the cattle was purchased but we've been purchased we have been purchased by the Lord Jesus Christ. The reality is we don't own our body it's now owned by the Lord Jesus Christ just like the cattle were now they were cared for by by Joseph but Pharaoh now owns them and this is the picture from this because not only us individuals we've all individually if you receive the Lord Jesus Christ and you've been bought by his blood but also the church as a whole. It says in, in Acts twenty twenty eight. Acts twenty twenty eight. take heed, take heed therefore unto yourselves and to all the flock over the which the Holy Ghost had made the overseers to feed the church of God, which he hath purchased with his own blood. See, what the Lord Jesus Christ used as the purchase money to buy us was his blood. That was the purchase money. And the value of that money is described in, in 1 Peter 1.18. eighteen. First 1 Peter 1.18 says, For as much as you know, you were not redeemed or purchased, you weren't redeemed, with corruptible things as silver and gold from your vain conversation received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. So the cattle's now owned by Pharaoh, and the people no longer have to worry about food for their cattle because the, it's Pharaoh's cattle, you yeah? and Tom doesn't have to worry about filling up the car with gas anymore. I'll fill it up because it's my car, right? Okay, so the cattle now have a continuous supply of food because it's Pharaoh's property. Then came the next year in verse 18. Now when that year was ended, they came unto him the second year and said unto him, We will not hide it from my Lord how our money is spent. My Lord also hath our herds of cattle. There is not aught left in the sight of my Lord but our bodies and our lands. So the year is ended, the food that they got for the cattle is gone, and once again, the people come to, to Joseph with this complete trust, this complete openness, when they say in verse 18, we won't hide it, we will not hide it from my Lord, how our money is spent, etc. This is a painful process. This is a painful process which is going on. First, the people give their money to Joseph, which represents their security. Oh, I got money in the bank. I got money under my bed. I got money in some hole. That's their security, and it's easy for Christians to to pray a prayer, but it's not so easy to give to give up give our money to the Lord. And that's a step that uh, that's a very important step in the total dedication road. Total dedication to the Lord Jesus, and then and then the people yielded up their cattle. Their cattle to Joseph. That represents their ability to make money. That represents their, their, their work and the ability to work. It's not easy for a Christian to give his abilities to the Lord. That's another step in the process of total dedication to the Lord Jesus. So now the Egyptians, they find themselves just stripped down to nothing, just their bodies and their land and, 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 and they throw themselves again. On the mercy of Joseph, that they say in verse 19, wherefore shall we hide before thine eyes, both we and our land? Wherefore shall we die before thine eyes, before if we and our land buy us? See, that's their proposal. Buy us in our land for bread, and we in our land will be servants unto Pharaoh, and give us seed, we may live, not die, that the land may be not desolate. So again, first they come and do what everybody else did from Cain and every other place. They bought food with their money. All gone. Then Joseph said, okay, sell me your cattle. They they did that. All gone. Now they get the idea. And they come and they say, buy us in our land. It wasn't Joseph who said that, it was them. But again, they say, we're about to die before your eyes. So the people make this proposal. So now the people are coming to the same conclusion as the prodigal son. The prodigal son realizes that his father's servants, his father's servants, uh, were provided for because they were his father's servants, and the prodigal son just wants to be one of his father's servants and be cared for along with the other of his father's servants. And the people have seen now how their cattle has been provided for, and as soon as they were transferred, as soon as the cattle was transferred over to belonging to Pharaoh, and they didn't have to worry about their cattle. And the cattle were fed, and because they were no longer their cattle, it was Pharaoh's cattle, and Pharaoh takes care of his cattle. And just like the prodigal son, he envies his father's servants because they have plenty to eat from the provision of his father. And so the Egyptians envied their cattle. They had plenty to eat from the provision of Joseph. And that's why the Egyptians now come up with this proposal themselves that Joseph should just buy them. That they should become the property uh, of Pharaoh and their land so that they can be cared for like Pharaoh, through Joseph, cares for what he owns. And the people want to be owned by by Pharaoh. The People want their land to be owned by Pharaoh. You know, it's uh, before I got married. My wife told me before we got married, she said she watched. She watched how carefully I took care of my stuff. She watched how I folded my shirts. She said, put them away. I was kind of an a neat-a-holic, organized. anyway. And she watched how my car was clean. And she watched how my my, she looked at the things in my glove compartment and saw how they were all taken care of. And then she said she had confidence that if she married me that I would take care of her like I take care of my stuff. That's a picture of the conclusions that the Egyptians had to come to. They came to this. They saw that when they took care of their cattle that they didn't make provision for their cattle. And so the cattle were starving to death. But when Joseph had them and took them into ownership by a Pharaoh, they were taken care of, they were all getting fat again. So, just like the prodigal son not only thought how the pigs were being better cared for in comparison to him, and he envied the pigs, but the prodigal son thought of his father's servants, and he realized they take care, and that's when he comes back to his father in Luke, Luke fifteen nineteen, he comes back to his father and he says, "Make me as one of thy hired servants." What's he saying? He's, a, he's, he's saying that he wants to be under the rule of his father. He says, "Make me as one of thy hired servants." It's the same thing as the Egyptians are saying in verse nineteen, Genesis forty seven nineteen, verse nineteen. Buy us and our land, and we will be servants unto Pharaoh. Both the prodigal son. And the Egyptians realized they failed when they ruled their own lives. And both the prodigal son and the Egyptians realized that the hired servants under the rule of his father, the cattle under the rule of, of Joseph, were better off. And that's why they wanted to just give up the sovereignty of their own lives and come unto the rule of another. That's a picture of man. Man starts off by taking this deep breath, filling his chest up and saying, now I'm ready to run my life. Got out of my parents' home, and no one's going to tell me what to do anymore. So I'm going to stand tall, answerable to no one but myself. And that's pretty much the way the prodigal son and the Egyptians started off. But then the great crash happens, which in the case of both prodigal son and the Egyptians was starvation. It was a famine. And they come to a choice. And the choice there is that I continue down the same road. There's a choice. I continue by the same dough and say, you know, I may have lost all, but I still have my pride.
0: Or for more information about Tom Cantor and Friendship with God and Israel Restoration Ministries, call us at 800-247-3051. Experience a short-term missions trip to Israel, the land and people to whom the Lord Jesus Christ will return. Not only walk where the Lord Jesus walked, but reach who He reached, the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Be a part of the encouraging Jewish friends to receive the Lord Jesus. Israel Alive is all about making friendships with lost Israelis that will hopefully be eternal. We hope you'll join us in reaching the nation of Israel one friendship at a time. For more information, visit us at israelalive.org. That's israelalive.org.